Studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey. Joining us in his weekly spot, Danny Flecka here on Teeing It Up. Conference Championship Game Weekend. Here's what I find interesting about you, because you dig into a lot of the stuff, gambling-wise, otherwise, etc. Have you, uh, just so that people know, because I got a chance to see this up close, and it was it was kind of cool to watch and to see, how much of your time is spent watching this time of year college basketball or the NBA versus reading up on NFL stuff? Yeah, I mean, yesterday was the first time I think I watched basketball and college and college basketball for an extended period of time, and by that I mean like more than like ten minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I watched a little bit of the of the Kansas Kentucky game yesterday, and then I watched a little bit of the Celtics Lakers game. But I, I, I mean, I'll probably start watching it this week with no NFL, you know, for a couple of weeks. Um, and it's really just, you know, less, less investment even in the, Super, like in the Super Bowl than there would be like in a regular season weekend or whatever it may be. Um, but, yeah, up until now, very, very little time watch, watching any other sports, maybe besides like soccer on the weekends. Um, you know, I don't really have the bandwidth to take, take it on, but on top of that, it's just, you know, November, December, January basketball really – it's hard to watch because there's just not a lot online. I don't know if you saw the end of that Laker-Celtic game, but what a brutal no-call on LeBron last night. Eh, I don't know about that. I think he's just a big baby. Look, the NBA already admitted that they got the call wrong. Yeah, but they're saying that because it's LeBron. I think it was a clean play to the hoop last second. You cannot call a foul on that play. You know, I don't... I don't think there was a lot there. One of the things that the NBA has to look at, again, I believe, is incidental contact versus purposeful contact. Like, I can foul you, or did our bodies collide just because we were all trying to do the same thing? (laughs) That's where I think some of this comes from, because you've got a guy who's massive like LeBron driving to the hoop. Bodies are going to touch bodies. Yeah, I think that there's just, I think in the NBA, you're just so used to getting a call every single time you go to the hoop or every single time every single time someone touches you that when there is a graze or incidental contact, like you mentioned, they're always looking for a foul. I mean, there was a play earlier in that game, I remember Jalen Brown was under the basket, Anthony Davis jumps over him to get a rebound, they call a foul on Jalen Brown. It's, you know, it's just... Yeah, it's just being, AD being AD. They don't call half the stuff they're supposed to call. You know, when do they call travels or walks or carries or any of that stuff? You know, it's just one of the... That's why basketball is <laughs> tough to watch during a regular season. It's Damn. very inconsistent. And it, then when you get to the playoffs, you know, the fouls that you're getting called in the regular season aren't being called in the postseason. It's just a lot. It's, it's a tough sport, I think, to just get back. Get, get behind. That's why, like, a, a play like that with, like, LeBron, like, you know, it, it may have been a foul, may not have been a foul, but at the end of the day, it's a good basketball play by both teams. LeBron did the right thing. The Celtics did the right thing. And at the end of the day, you, you know, you got to just let the chips fall where they may. And he didn't get the call, and you move on. If anything, there should have been a technical after the call because he acted like 
you know, I'm surprised he didn't get hurt complaining the way he was jumping up and down like a maniac. <laughs> That's LeBron, though. I, I, look, I, I thought there was a foul. I thought he had every right to complain, but um, the, some of the stuff, as you say, regular season NBA can be tough to watch. Um, Danny's here uh, to talk about the AFC and NFC Championship games. And uh, one thing that I think is interesting is you've got Brock Purdy traveling across the country on the road. And you're a Giants fan, so you watched that game last week with a keen eye as a fan. And you saw your team get run out of the building by the Eagles offensively and defensively, run out of the building. Can the same thing happen today to the 49ers, who looked really impressive against Dallas last week, albeit at home? Yeah, I think, you know, we were looking at the Philadelphia Giants game from last week. We, we all knew that there was a gulf in talent between the two teams. And the Giants needed a lot of things to go right for them to stay in that game. They did not go right. And Philadelphia did what they did uh, to the Giants twice this season, and that is just run the ball down their throats, control the control the clock, get after the quarterback, etc. I don't see that playing out this week with this San Francisco team. I, I think up front on both lines of scrimmage, it, it may lean a little bit Philly. Their offensive line may be a bit better. Their defensive line, depth-wise, may be a little bit better. But San Francisco, I think, matches up perfectly uh, with what Philadelphia brings to them on the front lines. Uh, I think their San Francisco's offensive line is good. I think their play calling is excellent. I think their schematics offensively are also really, really good. On the defensive side, I think from a pure talent side of things, I think San Francisco takes the cake. You know, Bosa is better than any defensive lineman that Philadelphia is going to try out there, although the collective Philadelphia might be better. And Philadelphia's offensive line is, is definitely one of the best units in the league. What I, I think wins this game, you know, I think what tilts this game a little bit is going to be which defensive you know, which unit can control the line of scrimmage enough to present opportunities on short distance plays, meaning, you know, which offense can keep ahead of the chains and which defense can maybe keep the offense behind the chains. Because I do think that Philadelphia, you know, despite their their weapons, wants to operate in that, you know, second and four range. And same thing with San Francisco. I think if San Francisco finds themselves in second and longs, third and longs, they're going to have a really, really hard time beating Philadelphia just because you're asking Brock Purdy to do a lot on those downs. You need to be able to keep the play action alive. You need to be able to keep the motion plays that San Francisco has alive. And the way to do that is is to win first down. So I think the team that is winning first down, creating those second and sixes between second and fours, that way, on third down, you're not you're not asking for a, a definitive pass play. You're, you you can run a play action. You can run a jet sweep. You can run a, a run up the middle. I think that's where this game is won. I know that you know both teams possess great wide receivers. 
and great weapons, but I think those are neutralized at least for uh, San Francisco a lot more if they're in third and long, second and long, you know, committing penalties on first downs. It's first down and 20, first down and 15. They have to stay within their script, I think, for a majority of the game in order to be successful and beat Philadelphia. Do you believe that Jalen Hurts is 100% healthy and can do everything that he would like to do? I, I think he's where he needs to be. Yeah, I mean, he looked good throwing the ball last week, although they didn't really need to throw the ball that much. You know, they, they ran the ball, and I think that was on purpose. I, I didn't think they wanted to utilize him. They didn't need to utilize him, right? I mean, that game was over the second the Giants went for it on fourth down on the first possession and gave the ball back to Philadelphia at midfield. You know, they knew that they could rely on their defense to, to shorten that game and to give them good field position, and they took advantage of it. I think Hurts is going to face a much different challenge this week. I do think he's going to have to be able to scramble. I do think they have to get him outside the pocket. If he's sitting back there, you know, he does have the ability to obviously scramble, but he has a, he's a different scrambler than, say, Lamar Jackson, right? He's not looking to yeah. pick up 15 to 20 yards. He's looking to still throw first, I think, when he scrambles. And, you know, they obviously have their designed runs that, that come into play, and he's able to pick up chunk yards there. But I do think he wants to play within the framework of the offense, which is, you know, getting the ball out on time. And if, if Philadelphia is unable to allow that, then, you know, he's going to have to get outside the pocket and make things happen with his legs. You know, he's a smart runner. He's been running for a long time as a quarterback. You know, he knows what he's doing. I don't see him taking on hits, but again, this is a championship game. If there's a yard that you need to get, you need to lower your shoulder, I expect that he's going to do that. Danny, uh, uh, Danny Flacco with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, Brock Purdy, biggest spotlight, obviously, he's ever been under. He's got a lot of weapons around him, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel being 1-2. We've seen guys in this moment just collapse under, you know, um, the spotlight. For for some reason, I think that Brock's going to stay in there, aided maybe by that. And I would expect, you know, two runs to McCaffrey and or Samuel start the game to kind of let Purdy, uh, 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 Purdy settle in. But from how you look at it and this incredible run that he's on, he now has to go on the road, which is something he has not had to do much during this run. Where's your head at when it comes to Brock Purdy and how he'll play today in really decent football you know, conditions? It's cloudy. It's in, it's in the high 30s to 40s, and you know, it's not really anything going on you know, except for maybe some rain late but that would be maybe past game time yeah he's a wild card I, I think last week he was good not great he, he had a lot of throws that were begging to be intercepted um, the defense of San Francisco kept that game within reach you know, and, and it helped that Dak Prescott stinks um, <laughs> yes. on the other side of the ball because Dallas had a couple of opportunities there to, to definitely, I think, put San Francisco behind and make them chase the game a little bit. I think from Brock Purdy's perspective, you need to be able to utilize that short-distance passing attack to its highest potential. I, I think this is a Debo Samuel game. I think 
the, the secondary of Philadelphia is good, not great. They have two great corners, but I do think their safeties are able are, are ripe for the picking. I do think they're going to try to take out uh, Brandon Ayuk to force the, that intermediate passing game to be the way that San Francisco is going to be able to beat them. But I do think Debo Samuel is just a freak of nature. He, you get the ball in his hands, you know, a five-yard pass turns into 25 to 30-yard gain. He's got to be the guy, I think, that you use to soften up this San Francisco, I mean, this Philadelphia pass rush, and as well as uh, their, their coverage schemes. Uh, and then George Kittle's another guy, too. I, I think he could beat any of the linebackers that they have on Philadelphia. He could definitely take advantage of the safeties. The, the thing with Kittle that scares me is that if you realize that San, uh, that San, Francisco, San Francisco cannot hold up in pass protection, he's going to be kept back and used to block because he's one of the best blocking tight ends we've, we've seen in a long, long time. Um, him and Gronk are, are right up there yeah. with you know some of the best pass blocking tight ends that, that we've seen play the last 10 years. So if they're able to get, again, stay ahead of the chains, not allow uh, Philadelphia to pin their ears back, I do think Kittle and Samuel could feast in that intermediate part of the field which will then open up those deep crossing routes they like to run on play action. And then, you know, Christian McCaffrey's another guy, I think, from a passing perspective. Um, you know, last week we saw him a little hampered. I don't know how healthy he is, but you split him out. You know, you put Devo in the backfield, and vice versa. You know, you don't know where the ball is going. So I think those are the guys, you know, we, we already knew that they are going to be the guys that are going to carry this team, but I do expect Devo to be very heavily involved, especially early. If you want to set a physical tone if you're San Francisco and then use that to open up the shot place perhaps behind the field. But I do think that Debo and, and Kittle could have a big game in the middle middle third of the field. You know, those ten yard you know, those ten yard and under passes that you use to, to make up for, for not going deep. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago in person and I'll say it again here. It's the middle. And what can you do with the middle and how effective you are over the middle if you're slanting or if you're one of these tight ends. And Kittle, Kittle also does a really good job of looking like he's going to block and then he goes out and pat in, in, in the passing game, um, which I just think is, is mind-bogglingly um, effective. Um, I want to flip to the AFC Championship game for a second. That can completely change the second Mahomes' high ankle sprain happened the ankle has not been bothering him at all um this week so they say we're gonna see it live in person the expected wind chill for that game when it kicks off is six you've played a lot of sports in your life especially lacrosse and flag football and a whole lot of weather whether it's back spasms for travis kelsey or whether it's a high ankle sprain for Mahomes, when you're dealing with single-digit temperatures, that kind of coldness, what impact does it have, if any? It's. I think the main impact is one. You know, how's the field look, right? You know, what type of footing are you able to get? Natural grass field. Is the field frozen over? Is it? Does it have some grip to it? You know, that, that's the first thing I'd be looking today when I step on the field. Is you know how? You know, what kind of shoes do I have to wear? What kind of cleats are, are going to be best? Utilize, especially for Mahomes, right? He say he's saying his ankle isn't bothering him. It's bothering him. A high ankle <laughs> sprain takes about 
four to six weeks to, to really heal. Yeah. And the way he plays, like, you know, I don't expect him to be near 100% despite what what's coming out of Kansas City. Um, the, the second thing is, is you need to be loose. You need to stay loose, um, especially if you have any sort of soft tissue injury or lingering soft tissue injury, which, you know, Kansas City unfortunately had some players that, that are dealing with that. Um, you know, Kadari's Tony, as a Giants fan, uh, has a habitual soft tissue injury uh, history that, that pops up a lot, you know. You got to be able to stay loose. You got to be able to stay warm. You got to be able to, you know, keep your body functioning at, at the level that you need it to function. Thankfully, you know, we're at a time and age where, you know, we have the technology and, and the therapies able to, you know, get players to to optimize their performances. But, you know, in, in any type of cold weather situation, you want to just make sure that you are mentally focused, that you are there. You know, you are doing. You're not changing your routine up too much, but that you are in a situation where you can maintain the level of play that you need to maintain. So I think just staying loose, staying warm, stretching on the sidelines, just going through and making sure that you have the right equipment on. You know, you don't want to have, you know, the wrong cleats, the wrong gloves, you know, the wrong T-shirt underneath, whatever it is. You want to make sure that you're in a spot where mentally you can perform not considering the elements that you're going into. And as long as, as you know, you do that, we, we've seen these games before, right? Remember the Giants-Packers back yeah. when they played? Yeah, it's probably the championship one of the game. And of, of, yeah, one of the coldest games of all time. Yep, when everybody thought Tom Coughlin would have a some kind of an impact because of how his cheeks were exposed. Yeah, the Kansas City-New England game also comes to mind. That was a cold one back yeah. in that championship game. So, you know, I think that there's evidence in how you need to approach this, but you've got to be able to just mentally be there. I think that's the biggest thing with, with the cold weather games. Um, Danny Flecker with us here on, on Teeing It Up. One thing that, that you always are not afraid to is speak your mind. One thing that is beautiful about um, Joe Burrow is he's not afraid to speak his mind. And that Joe Swagger... Some people love it. Some people hate it. Put aside your personal views on Joe Burrow for a second. What shocked me about the Buffalo game is how well they they ran the football. I don't think they'll be able to run the football as well today. But how much does swagger, especially from your starting quarterback, carry over into a game like this where he may have to win it, either with his arm or with his legs? Yeah, I mean, Burrow's a killer at the end of the day. He's an assassin. Uh, he is collected. He is calm. He is confident in his team and his playmakers. He, he feels no pressure. Uh, I think last week's performance was very impressive, not only offensively but defensively with the way that they played it. I think Cincinnati's defense has gone uh, under the radar a little bit. Um, I think the thing now that we're going to start to see in this game is familiarity between these two teams. This is their fourth matchup in the past year. Twice in the regular season, second time in the playoffs. These two teams have played each other since last the last conference championship game. That's a lot of familiarity now yep. between two teams that are not divisional opponents. I think now the adjustments are going to come into play big time 
as to where Cincinnati and Kansas City line up, right? And, and there are a lot of variables that are, we're, we're going to see in this game. Cincinnati's out two offensive linemen. Mahomes is injured. Kelsey might be less than 100%. Yeah, but Kadarius Tony is there for Kansas City, and yeah, you know, we have seen a better, I think, version of Cincinnati's offense with Nixon running at full speed and Higgins and Boyd out there, and Hayden Hurst, who is, I think, a very underrated member of that Cincinnati attack. So there's some nuances there that, that are going to show up, but Burrow is just one of those guys I think that you are are seeing can make up for some deficiencies in his team despite, you know, his immense, despite, you know, the team overall being pretty good, he can still make up for some of those deficiencies. I, I do expect Cincinnati to, to follow a very similar game plan as the one they had in Buffalo. Run the ball, use short, quick passes, open up the field eventually for when you have the opportunity. I think we're going to see a lot from T. Higgins today. He wasn't involved a lot last week. I think he's been hampered a little bit. I think he's about as ready as he can be right now for this game. I think there's going to be a lot of attention paid to Jamar Chase. So I do think that opens up some intermediate passes. I think, you know, Samaj P. Ryan, another underrated guy for Cincinnati, will have a, a decent game as a passing back. And I do think Higgins will be another guy. And if you look at Higgins, what he did last year in this game, he went for over 100 yards. Um, and granted, different teams, different approaches to this game, but I do expect Cincinnati to, to be in this game from beginning to end. I don't see them being blown out. I don't see them, you know, faltering in this spot. They've been here. They understand what this spot is, and I think with Burrow, they have a shot no matter what. There's going to be a rules issue that's going to come up at some point. You have not on this show, you have privately, you have not on this show ever shared your issues with rules analysts, so I'll give you the floor to talk about that for a second. Yeah, I mean, I I think they're kind of worthless (laughs) on the broadcast, to be honest with you. I think that the rules change every single time I watch a game. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think that they change every single time and I think the thing is is especially in the playoffs at least why don't they keep the crew the same yes I don't understand that Um, they rate everybody on a scale and then decide who who will be doing playoff games and then a referee will make it but his crew does it you know isn't the crew the reflection of the referee at the end of the day, the head ref. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm with you on that. I think the thought process is, and I'm just making this up, that there's a, a weak back judge, and is there some way that we can, you know, replace a weak back judge? Everybody else in the crew waited out well, and yes, it's a reflection of the of the leader. But how can we get a better back judge in there for pass interference calls? Just hypothetically. Yeah, yeah, it, it's tough. I, I think you know. From a rule, like a rules perspective, you know, there's some that are better than others. Um, you know, Gene is pretty good. Um, Pereira is pretty good. Everybody else is kind of terrible. Um, well, those are the two you'll have today: Gene Steratore and uh, Mike Pereira. Um, Gene Steratore, there's a profile on, on him recently that aired on on CBS. He has a family business that sells toilet paper and other things that you'd find in bathrooms. <laughs> of all things. Yeah, like, in sanitation or something like that, which yes. is probably the cut, 
you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, these guys that are in there, that are the rules analysts, I think at the end of the day, when a good fan understands what they're watching, can watch it, watch a replay one time and say, okay, that's a catch, it's not a catch, he's inbounds, he's out of bounds, that's a fumble, that's, you know, not a fumble. Like, you know, I think that these rules, rules analysts, you know, Fox started it with Pereira, everybody else followed suit. Yeah. You know, it's definitely an easier life if you're a ref, you know, a good ref to, like, go into TV and do that. But I think at times, they're not – here's the thing I don't like about them. They don't tell you what they actually think is happening. Like, oh, well, it could be a catch. It could not be a catch. I, you You know, very rarely are they very definitive with their takes, which is why I think you have them there in the first place. It's like, okay, well, that's a, you know, that's a catch. That's not a catch, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think they do that a lot. I would rather them be up there and be like, you know, if I was on the field, this is why I would call it this way. And if they're wrong, they're wrong. You know, it, they, they don't have to be right all the time. Um, but it's a little annoying when they just go up there and be like, well, this is what I'm seeing, and, and I think it might be a catch. No, tell me if it is a catch or not, on your opinion. Don't waver. Just, just tell me what you think it is. My thing is, if you go that way, which I would also prefer, then after a call is made, if it's different, then you can say, well, I, my guess is that they didn't see enough visual evidence, so they just kept it at stands. That way you don't look bad, because you also explained why they ruled the way that they ruled, and, and you know, with that way. And I think that would be more helpful and, and explain things. Yeah, I think it's easier for someone like Mike Pereira to do that instead of like Gene, where Tony Romo is talking over you and making weird noises all the time. You know, it's that is like true. Call on that broadcast. That is that is true. Tony is uh, t- Tony needs to have a good good game today. He's not had a good uh, last couple games. He's just been talking way too much. Calm down, Tony. Calm down. It's okay. Let the game breathe a bit. Um, it's time. It's it's that time of the podcast where I ask you who wins these games. Yeah, I, I think you know my heart says San Francisco, but my brain says Philadelphia in that game. I, I like both. I like San Francisco a lot. I like the makeup. I like their team. I like their players. I like their coach. I just like the way that they've been been assembled over the past five or six years. Do it, you know? create a roster that is flexible, good, and just overall nasty. You know, you watch that defense, they fly around, they hit you and they smack you around, and they're a physical team. I worry about Purdy in situations that I mentioned earlier. You know, if they are in third down and long, can he make that pass? Can he sit in there? Does Shanahan trust him to make that that pass over the middle on a deep dig route to Ayuk or to Samuel. You know, that's that's my worry in that game. And because of that, I do think Philadelphia wins that game. It's going to be a close game. I, I think it goes into the fourth quarter, either tied up, one you know, one possession game, very, very tight. I do think the, the defenses will have the upper hand in these games. I know Philadelphia has a great offense. But I do think that, that San Francisco can neutralize them a bit and and force uh, you know Jalen Hurts into some uncomfortable situation. So I, I'm going to give it to Philadelphia 23-20. That's that's that game. And the Cincinnati Kansas City game, I 
I know we, you know, you mentioned earlier Mahomes is you know, saying he's fine. I, I've had that injury before. It's not good. It's not. It's not fun. The slightest <laughs> little land on his ankle, the slightest little tweak, the somebody falling on you. You know, granted, I've never had three hundred pound men falling on top of me consistently. Right, but but it's a great point you bring up, though, which is in okay. He's fine now, as we sit here Sunday morning. What happens in game? Exactly. So I, I, there's just too much uncertainty. I think with Mahomes, and granted, he could go back there and he can sling the ball around and not be asked to run around and play within the framework of the offense because he's just that good. You know, he can do whatever he wants. I, I just know from experience having that injury that you are not 100%. Even if they win, I don't think he'll be 100% in two weeks if they, you know, go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Because, of, you know, because of that, you know, just that uncertainty. And I know doubting Mahomes makes me look like an idiot if they win this game. But I've seen, you know, I'm just picturing him last week jumping on one foot to hand the ball off. He was having trouble doing the simplest of things last week. And I know it's been a week removed, and again, I just think the slightest little tweak, the slightest, you know, he lands on that ankle just the wrong way. He steps, you know, off the field the wrong way. Anything could happen. You know, you are not stable. You're just not going to be where you need to be. And in a situation like this where any juice taken away from a home to create a situation where they make a mistake, I have to lean Cincinnati in this game. Yeah. I, I think this line, from a gambling perspective, has moved all over the place. And, and not just the gambling community taking the shred of evidence that Mahomes is going to be able to be Mahomes, right? I think it opened up Kansas City minus two. Tuesday, Wednesday, it was Cincinnati minus two. Now we sit here at Kansas City minus two. It's gone all over the place. That volatility in the market is due to one person and one person only. But I have to lean with the roster right now that is coming, and that is Cincinnati. I think Burrow is just not phased. He knows what he's doing. They have the advantage, I think, from a skill set perspective with Chase, Higgins, uh, Boyd, Mixon. And I do think defensively, Cincinnati is one of the better teams at in-game adjustments. And we've seen that throughout the year where they are the best second-half defense that's out there right now. I just think they're going to be able to grind this one out. It's going to be, I think, a fun game. I I do think we're going to get a lot of exciting plays in this game. But I'm going to lean Cincinnati 27-21. So I think the Eagles win close just like you have it. I think Kansas City wins this game in the second quarter of overtime under the new rules. And I think one thing to watch for early in this game is, does Cincinnati try to force Mahomes through good coverage downfield to run for it? It's one thing if he's running a bootleg. It's one thing if you know he's just moving out of the pocket just a little bit. But do you have to fight for a first down? That, I think, will be the, the real eye-opener on what's happening here. Yeah, I think we saw last week, right? Yep. Jacksonville was very tentative to blitz 
when Mahomes was healthy. And then they were very tentative to blitz when he was not healthy. They kind of just let him sit back there. I think defensively Cincinnati is going to try to collapse the pocket, maybe not necessarily bring a ton of pressure, just collapse it, you know, make him play within a tighter framework within the pocket where his, you know, his footwork gets a little bit thrown off. That's another thing, too, you know. We, we've seen Mahomes throw off-platform a bunch of times, but he's healthy when he does that, you know. I, I think they're going to try to get him off-platform, and that doesn't necessarily mean blitzing. It means, like, just collapsing the pocket, making him play in a phone booth, just screwing things up a little bit for him to take his timing off because I don't, I don't think they want to bring pressure because I still think Mahomes and Reed can figure out a way to get the ball out quick and take the pressure off of Mahomes sitting back there. But I do think that without him able to scramble, it's just, again, we'll see how this game plays out. I may be look, I may look like an idiot come 10 o'clock this evening, but I do think that there's going to be some limitation there for Mahomes, and we'll see that crop up on some place today. We shall see how things turn out. Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up, and enjoy this football Sunday. No problem, man. Have a good one. You got it, and for all of you, enjoy it.